0: Good morning. Pleased that you can uh, worship with us on this Lord's Day, which is the last Lord's Day of the month of May. I want to uh, thank uh, everyone who's making it possible for you to join in with worship for us. Uh, Chris Hetlidge is at the uh, soundboard and not only will he be recording, he'll be editing it and paste, placing it on uh, the YouTube that you can watch it today. Uh, Amy Reber, our music director, is playing the piano and directing our choir, which is made up this morning of Barb Browntree, Harold and Teresa Parker, Jocelyn Clark, Jan Murray, Dick Forrester, and Carol Walker. I also want to thank you for your faithful giving to the church and just to encourage you to continue uh, giving through the mail, dropping it off or through the bank, or even now through the uh, on-site method that we have. Now, next Sunday, uh, June the 7th, will be our reopening. I hope that many of you will be able to join us here in the sanctuary. Uh, to, To do that, we will need to hear from you. And if you will contact the church, you can either call in or you can email the church, and we will put you there on the schedule. And I hope to see many of you next Sunday. Now let's prepare our hearts for worship. Call to worship, I'm going to read from Revelation 5, verse 13, which is the basis of our opening hymn. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And we come and we give praise to you, our great God, and we join with this worship that continues on in heaven to worship our great God, to worship the Lamb who was slain for us. And we pray that you might be honored, that you may take delight in our worship. And so we pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit to be upon us, to lift up not only our, our voices, but to lift up our hearts, our thoughts, that all might be directed to you so that you will take delight in this praise, this offering we bring to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's sing. Let's join that choir together in singing blessing and honor and glory and power. our confession of faith, let us recite together our common faith through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. For our scripture reading, I'm going to be reading from 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. Now, I've selected this uh, passage because of it speaks of the suffering that our own Lord went through, and we'll be commenting on that, on that later on in the sermon. Let us hear God's word. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your master's. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it, to your credit, if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's continue our worship. We'll sing together before the throne of God above. Turn now to our Lord in prayer. And we'll begin by praying together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We do come and we give you thanks, our Father, that you are the one who dwells in heaven, there on your high throne, there ruling over all of this world in your glory, your majesty, and in your holiness. And you dwell there as the great Almighty God who, who is our Father. And you bid your children to come before you, to, to pray before you. You bid us to come through our Lord Jesus Christ who has opened the way so that our prayers are heard there in heaven before you. He is there at our right, at your right hand as our High Priest. And He ever intercedes for us. We know that you hear us, our God, because you are our Father. We know that you hear us, because he who is not ashamed to call us, his brothers and sisters, is there speaking on our behalf. So we thank you. Thank you that though we, we come, as those who must confess that we have sinned against you, yet he has paid that price for us. He has brought satisfaction for our sins. He has clothed us with his righteousness. And so you see through him, because of him, those who are made righteous by his blood, those who have been adopted as and made your very children. Oh, we thank you and praise you. We pray our Father that your name will be honored. Your name will be honored especially by us who call ourselves the followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who believe truly that we are the, the children of Abraham by faith and that we have been made your children. May we above all honor the name of our great God. And may we serve your kingdom well here on this earth. May we do your will here on earth as it is done in heaven. May we be those children who honor the name of their Father by our actions, by our deeds, by the very thoughts that are in our minds, that you will take delight in us. We pray, our Father, that you would provide for us our daily bread. We pray that you would provide each day that food that we need to sustain our bodies. We pray that you would provide for us the other kinds of food, food that we need for our physical health, for the, uh, the health care that we receive, the medicines that we, we take. We thank you for those whom you have raised up and have given the skill as doctors, as nurses as those who provide all kinds of support and help to our medical system. We thank you for them. And we pray all the more that you would work through them uh, to provide for us what we need each day. We pray for you to provide for us the things that we need for our, our spirits, for our emotions. Provide for us the love that we need to receive. Provide for us that friendship, that family, which all the more causes us uh, to say to you to, that, to pray that we ourselves will be those who give out love, whether it be in our own homes, or in our marriages, in our families, or whether it may be in, in our neighborhoods, in our community. May we be as those who love our neighbor as ourselves. May we be seen as those who love our God with all of our heart and soul and and mind and, and strength. We pray, our Father, that you would provide for this world in this ongoing time of the pandemic. We pray for an end of this virus. We pray that there will not be a second wave. We pray for you to work uh, through those who are decision makers, but that you'd work through us, each of us, as we play our roles uh, to be saved, to protect the health of others, keep before us th- that our brother is, that is our, we are to keep them. We are to care for our neighbor. Our Father, we long for that day, hopefully in just a week, that we will see one another here in this very sanctuary. And we pray for you to guide that time. That you, again, that you would guide the wisdom of elders and of deacons. I guide myself as we church work to, to make this a place where you can be worshipped with peace. Worshipped uh, feeling safe. But all the more we, we look to that time that, that we will be together. We long to be with one another. And we pray for that day to come that it will not be long before we can crowd this sanctuary yet again. That we can hug one another and touch each other and lift up each other. We pray for that day to come. Our Father, we pray for our nation. We lift up uh, the city of Minneapolis for the crisis that is taking place there. Our Father, at times we just feel so helpless. We pray for your spirit, by your common grace, to bring peace to that city, to our own land. We pray for uh, that work that only your spirit can do to bring hope, uh, to bring union, to bring understanding. We pray particularly for the churches in that city, for our brothers and sisters, that you might use them to show forth the love of the gospel at this time. Our Father, we pray that you would forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. As we would hold on to what others owe to us. Keep before us how small it is. How great would be our own debts before you if our Lord Jesus had not paid that debt. May we be those who are slow to take offense. Those who bear a love that covers a multitude. Of offenses. We pray that we may not be led into temptation, but be delivered from evil. Our Father, it seems silly even to, to ask you not to lead us into temptation when we so easily walk into temptation on our own. And so protect us from ourselves, from our weak flesh. Protect us from this world that would lure us, that would put pressure upon us to compromise our faith, protect us from the evil one who does desire, not merely to tempt us, but to to lead to our downfall and to dishonor your name. Protect us from that. We entrust this all to you because to you, you belongs the kingdom and the power and the glory. In Christ's name, amen. Scripture reading is from the uh, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Again, this uh, passage was chosen because of the temptation. Our passage that we'll be looking at this morning speaks of suffering and it speaks of Jesus going through temptation. Let us hear God's word. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights, Jesus said to him, Away from you, Satan! For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Let's pray. Father, we do lift up our time now before you in praying for the work of your Spirit to be upon us, to open up our ears, to hear your word, and to be fed by it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, however one's perspective might be on the pandemic, one thing cannot be denied, and that is how death has come to the forefront. Now, you might think that the death counts are too high. You might think that they're too low. You might think that the risk of death are Either high or they're low. But death, nevertheless, is the subject. Death is the enemy against which all these efforts that we're using is, we're trying to minimize it, it happening. Now I say the word minimize because death, as we know, cannot be stopped. We might avoid death by coronavirus. But we will die one way or the other. Should the Lord not return sooner, it will take place. So death is the subject of our passage this morning. Let's begin looking at it in Hebrews 2, verses 14 to 18. I'm going to begin with verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. And this phrase here is speaking of Jesus' incarnation. Jesus was, and he still is, God the Son, but before the Incarnation, he was pure spirit. But there was this time, by the Incarnation, that he made himself lower than the angels. He did that by taking on our human flesh and blood. The thing that the author wants to make clear to us is that Jesus did not become He did not become like man. He did not merely have the appearance of man. So he wants to make clear, as John did in his gospel, in John 1.14, that God the Son became flesh and dwelt among us. Now why? Why did Jesus do this? What was his aim that required him to take on flesh and blood of his, of his creatures. Well, the next few words tell us. The first three words are that through death, Jesus came to die in that flesh and blood. And there are those who have claimed that they were born to be wild. There have been some who have claimed that they were born to love. But for what purpose would one be born to die? Well, there's a twofold purpose for Jesus that's given in our text. Let's continue reading. So that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now let's look at those two tasks. First is this Uh, coming to destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Now, what is it, this power, that the devil wields? Well, let's make clear here that Satan himself did not create death. He does not have that kind of power. Death came from God as punishment for disobedience in the Garden of Eden. Satan did play the role of tempting our parents to sin and thus bringing that kind of judgment upon them and upon us. But again, let it be said that the punishment of death comes from God as due justice for our parents' sin and for our own sin. Now what Satan does do, and he does it very well, is to terrorize mankind with the specter of death. He terrorizes men with the specter that death is inevitable, that it is shrouded in darkness, that it is always occurring, that it may strike us at any time and in any form, that it may lead after this death into punishment, that it takes us away from those whom we love and, and the things we love here upon this earth. Satan uses all of these realities, all these thoughts in our minds to strike dread in our hearts for all men and women. He uses this weapon of death, furthermore, to create fear of one another, to create envy and, and jealousy, to create greed and ambition for power, to cause us to lie, to steal, even to kill. Satan uses death, he uses the fear of death, to undo courage and love. Now, before Jesus, before Jesus came, Satan was all the more effective and powerful in his control over the world. But Jesus' arrival on the scene marks the beginning of the end for his reign. This explains, for example, the terror of evil spirits when they were confronted by Jesus. You might remember that first occasion. Jesus is teaching there in the synagogue. And a man stands up and there's an evil spirit in him that cries out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? That spirit is terrified. Well, their day of destruction will come... Completely, when Jesus returns. But it is beginning now, in his first coming, he has struck the blow that has ended their free reign and the free reign of their master, Satan. As Paul writes in Colossians 2.15 about what Jesus did on the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. speaking here of these spirits. By triumphing over them in Him. So Jesus disarmed Satan and his evil legions. Can they still wreak havoc? Well, obviously, yes. Can they destroy those for whom Jesus died? That is, can they lead the souls of God's elect to damnation? Well, no. Can they separate God from those whom Jesus died for? Well, no. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Satan's power to destroy has been destroyed itself. And when Jesus returns, Satan himself will be destroyed in the lake of fire. But Jesus' work on the cross has begun that final demise. Now, Jesus did this by removing the power of death as a power of judgment. So, for his people, for those who will come to him in faith, death loses its sting as the executor for sin. Instead, it becomes the doorway into God's presence. That's why Jesus could comfort with the words that are recited at many gravesides. I am the resurrection in life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, all this then leads us to the second task of Jesus dying. It is to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, this is a penetrating insight into the plight of man. Typically, the scriptures are concerned with delivering men and women from death itself. Delivering us from the, the slavery uh, of fear, That uh, well, from slavery itself to sin. But here the author recognizes the power of fear itself. The fear of death subjects us to lifelong slavery to that fear. But Jesus' death frees his people from that kind of slavery. How does it do so? Well, by what took place after his death. His resurrection. Here was someone who who died and yet rose out of death. His resurrection then gives us hope of our own. But understand that our hope lies not merely And that, well, here was an extraordinary man who defied death. I mean, if Jesus was merely an example, then we might despair all the more. Because who can claim to be like Jesus, to live the same righteous life as he did? You know, for me to know that there are a few runners who can escape danger by running a hundred yard dash in under ten seconds... That doesn't encourage me, that I can escape that same danger. So Jesus did not merely defy death. He broke death's power. And because I know that, and because I know that even if someone like myself can believe in him, that though I die, yet shall I live, well then I need no longer fear death. I cannot live the righteous life that procures my acceptance into heaven, but I can do the work that my Lord told me to do, and that is to believe in him. And because I trust the promise of my Lord that no one will perish whom his Father has given him, well, that bondage of slavery to fear, well, it's broken. Now, let's continue on. Verse 16, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Well, now this is going to be the last dig against overly uh, valuing angels that the author is going to take in his letter. And what's unexpected here is the contrast that he makes to the angels. One would think that he's going to contrast angels with the offspring of Adam that is, of, of human beings. Instead, it's with the offspring of Abraham, God's chosen people. Now, it's actually understandable when we consider that the readers here are likely Jewish believers. But our author probably also has in mind the same thing as his fellow apostle Paul, <coughs> who contended that all those who are of faith in Jesus, they also are spiritual offspring of Abraham. And so the help that Jesus brings from the fear of death is for the sake of his people. And those people are those who are identified by the same thing that marked Abraham, to be people of faith. Let's continue now in verse 17 and 18. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Here now we come to the great subject matter of Hebrews, and that is of presenting Jesus as our high priest. So let's break this down, what our author has to say. First, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So again here, he's presenting the incarnation, as he did in verse 14. So that in what Jesus shares, the same flesh and blood as we. So the author wants to make clear to his readers that their Lord and Savior, that God's Son who was the radiance of the glory of God, who is the exact imprint of God's nature, who indeed is our creator, who upholds the universe. This same Lord became the human being, Jesus of Nazareth. He shares our nature. And with that nature, he shares the limitations and the struggles that we face. Jesus suffered when he was tempted. That's noted here in verse 18. So the author is saying he truly was hungry. Back there in the the wilderness when he had been there for 40 days fasting and when Satan tempted him to turn stones into bread, he felt that hunger. He was tempted, no doubt, to forego the, the skepticism, the hostility that he knew was going to be thrown at him. By his own people. And so, doing this great miracle, leaping from the the temple, would clear all of those doubts. He was tempted, no doubt, to gain the world without the trial of death. He knew of the agony that he would experience there in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he would be asking his father to remove the cup of death. That agony was real. Jesus knew what it was to experience sleepless nights. He knew what it was like to feel the discomfort of of heat and of cold. What it was like to feel thirst. To feel hunger. To feel physical pain. To feel the emotional pain of rejection and hatred. To being misunderstood even by his closest companions. Well, it's this experience, sharing our flesh and blood with all the trials that that come with that sharing of that flesh and blood. That is what made Jesus the perfect high priest. And he's the perfect high priest again in two ways. First, it enabled him, note in verse 17, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. This takes us to the heart of what took place on the cross. On the cross, Jesus propitiated, that is, he appeased the just wrath of God that our sins had incurred on us. He propitiated God by taking on God's wrath that was due us. And he took our place in taking that wrath. So, God, the, but the only way that God could make such a propitiation, the only way that He could be a sacrifice for us was to be able to identify with us sinners. And the way that He was, the only way He could do that was to take on flesh and blood, to be just as we are. Human creatures were the guilty offenders. And only a sacrifice that represented human beings by sharing their nature and by sharing their mortal sufferings and temptations, only that kind of sacrifice could suffice. But then, think even more about this. Only a human being that was unblemished could make a sufficient sacrifice. If Jesus slipped up, if he sinned, no matter how small that sin might be, well then his sacrificial death would have been of no avail. It would not have propitiated. It would not have appeased. It would not have satisfied God's wrath. But our high priest did not slip up. He did not fail. And so he successfully made propitiation for our sins. So, sharing our flesh and blood enabled Jesus to be an effective high priest who made propitiation for our sins. He also did a second thing for him. It led him to become a merciful and faithful high priest. You know, perhaps there have been times that you've been in need of help and only a certain person was capable of providing that help. Maybe it was a doctor with a special skill. Maybe it was a government official with the right authority. Maybe you were a student and it was a teacher with the power to fail or perhaps give you a second chance. And they, hold it, they held the power to, to help, but they would not because, well, they may have been too busy. Or they may have been too hard to reach. Or maybe just simply unsympathetic. And so you turn to a friend who is sympathetic and and who had connections with that person and who was willing to speak on your behalf. So Jesus, because he has been made sympathetic by sharing our flesh and blood and understanding how hard it is to get by in that flesh and blood, This same Jesus will speak for us. He will gladly speak for you. Because his own experience in suffering has rendered him merciful and faithful. Remember, to his kindred. That's who we are. And by the way, you can rest assured that he will be heard by God his Father. Because again, he resisted the same temptations that undid you so he was accepted by his father as the perfect sacrifice for you. His death undid your death. Now let's turn to lessons that we can gain from this. You know, there are different strategies for dealing with the reality of death and the natural fear that we all share in facing it. We can try to tame death. Can kind of just refer to it as you know as part of the cycle of life. We can try to ignore death with entertainment or 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 busyness. We can try to stoically reconcile ourselves to death, you know, just noting it's an inevitable part of being given life in the first place. We can just simply hope. Hope that there's going to be a better life afterwards hope that there will be a more peaceful life, or at least a rest from the troubles of this life. Well, what the gospel has given us is a high priest who makes atonement for the sins that brought death in the first place. He has given us a high priest who who bears death on our behalf, who breaks the power of our enemy to use death as a weapon of fear, a high priest who breaks the power of death itself and who turns to us and he calls us his kin, who regards us in mercy and faithfulness. Is that not a beautiful thought? Is it not a wondrous thought? Consider the incarnation. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, he writes of this, He says, the Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and and taught to talk like any other child. And there was no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God was reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the Incarnation. And nothing would be so fantastic if not for the reason of the Incarnation. Our Creator took on the nature of His human creatures that He might learn to suffer with us. Our God sees us from a distance. He also sees and he feels with us our innermost hearts. He truly feels our pain and he understands our weakness. But the fantastic goes further. Our creator took on the nature of his human creatures that he might die for us. The great mystery of the incarnation occurred to achieve the great mystery of redemption. And more wondrous still, the just wrath of God was satisfied through the unmerited mercy of this same God. Today, you know, today out of fear of death, Christians will look for something to still to calm their fears of death. That's why books on how I went to heaven and and came back are, are so popular. But brothers and sisters, I ask you, what more do you need to know than that you have a Savior who has conquered death, that He Himself has gone to heaven and is seated there now as your merciful and faithful High Priest, he has already gone to there to open the door for you. He has paid for your entrance. And he will continue to be faithful to intercede for you as you, as we stumble through this life. When you fear death, look to Jesus. Now to you who have yet to know this high priest, you know that death awaits you. What you do not know is when it will occur or how it will occur. You do not know what awaits you afterwards. You can hope for the best. You can ignore the thought of death. Or you could do this. You could call upon this high priest to deliver you from it. If you do, I guarantee you this you will find a high priest who understands you and who will be merciful and faithful to you. We give you thanks, our God, for our Lord Jesus Christ. What is more fantastic than the mercy and the love by which you gave up your Son to take on our flesh and blood and in that flesh and blood to suffer for us and with us and to die for us. We thank you for this ongoing wondrous mystery of his resurrection, of his ascension on high, where he is there as our high priest. So we can take joy, take delight in him, and look to that day that we shall be with him. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together and celebrate this great truth. Arise, my soul, arise.